We only get one life and I really would love you to live it to its full. No days and weeks of video games or Netflix or hiding. I, I know I'm a tough taskmaster. And, you know, there, are, there is time for that. There is time when you can intentionally say my mental health needs a break. But I just think this is our one life and we have so much to give and there is so much good in us and so much amazingness in us that we need to share that with the world if we can. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Kim Peek. I'm a movement coach helping women use movement as a catalyst for change in their lives. Running, rowing, cycling, swimming, CrossFit, and even 30 minutes a day where you get your blood pumping with a fun workout or a boot camp at the park changes you. It empowers you and gives you confidence to pursue challenging goals. It gives you an opportunity to get away for a little bit and clear your head. Movement can be life-changing when you make it part of your daily routine. Even when you have a million things going on, especially when you are crazy busy, it's important to move your body. Our mental and physical health need movement. And with that... I am going to tell you a little bit about today's guest, who is empowering women and helping them reclaim their confidence. No matter what stage you are in your life and career, Rochelle Marie has some solid tips for you to help you find your confidence, even when you're feeling unsure of yourself. I'm excited to talk to Rochelle Marie because March in the United States is National Women's History Month, and March 8th is International Women's Day, a day where we celebrate women's achievement and raise awareness against bias and take action for equality. And I think everything that we are talking about today addresses those three main goals of International Women's Day. Rochelle Marie has worked her way from entry-level roles to leadership positions twice without pretending to be someone she's not or sacrificing her family. After one too many stories from career moms who are literally vomiting on the way to work due to toxic managers and having worked for a few herself, she decided enough was enough. Now she empowers and inspires women to get their leadership role where they can make a difference. Welcome to the show, Rochelle. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Kim. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I love having conversations. So yeah, I can't wait. So tell everybody where you are. It's bright and early in the morning where you are, and it's afternoon in Kansas City in the United States where I am. Yeah, it's 6 a.m. here in Queensland. I'm in west of Brisbane, Australia. It's a nice and early start. Awesome. Thank you for being here with us today. I wanted to jump right into something that I saw on your website because I find this topic so intriguing. And part of this quote on your website says, time and time again, I am having conversations with women who are suffering at the hands of managers who have no people skills, no vision, and too often no care factor. What does that mean to you? What are you seeing in the workplace? Yeah, so I don't think this is new, right? I think, and, and I think that's the problem is that it's not new and we've known this has been a problem for a really long time now. 
But what I deal with often is the the middle manager level. And I think it's a really important level of a of an organization, mid to large organizations, that middle manager is the glue that holds everybody together. The problem is we promote people into middle management because they're really good at their their technical job that they're doing. So they might be a really good project manager. They might be a really good coder. They might be a really good engineer. And we say, we're going to reward you for being really good at your job. And we're going to put you into a management role. And then we don't give them the training and support and coaching that they need to level up and become a leader. So they step into this new role Knowing what they know, that's how we often get micromanagers because they're safe in their comfort zone of this is what I know how to do and and now I've got to get you to do it, so I'm going to do it for you. And so we end up with a whole lot of middle managers who are unfortunately yeah, untrained and don't know how to lead people, often aren't people at all. They're just good at their job. and. Yeah rest of us have to suffer for it. (laughs) Yes. So how would a person know if they are that kind of manager who is not a good leader? What are some of those warning signs? Yeah, that's a good question. I think definitely if you're not interacting with your staff on a daily basis and asking them how they're going and asking them where you can help them. I think that's a sign. If you get into work, head down. I've seen managers that come into work and literally don't say hello to anybody in their team, sit down at their desk and start doing the doing and that's it. And that's how they spend their day. So if that's you, if you're really good at the tasks and you come in and you sit down and you forget to say hello to your team, because for some people, that's not a natural thing. And you can go all day with barely saying a word to them, maybe have a team meeting once a month. That's not leadership. Your people are looking for more from you. So um, I think that is a sure sign to me. If you're not interacting with your people, then you're probably just doing the tasks. And do you think any of that changes now that we're dealing with pandemic work situations where there's a lot more work from home? Do you see any of that interaction changing? Is it getting worse? I don't, it's not getting any better and it should be. And I guess it stands out more. I don't know if it's getting worse, but it stands out more. It's quite clear when managers at the moment aren't interacting with their staff and aren't leading because it does lead to mental health problems and and they are becoming more prevalent through this pandemic. To me, during these times as a leader, you should be increasing your interaction with your staff. So you should definitely be reaching out more often than what you were when everybody was in the office and could see each other and say hi as they're passing in the hallway. As a leader right now, you definitely need to be reaching out intentionally at least every couple of days just to see how they're going. Personally, I would do it daily at least, and if not more. And it's not to go, what work have you done today? That is not the point of reaching out to your staff. It's not checking up that they're being productive because honestly, there's studies that have shown that we're more productive working from home than we are from work. So that's not the problem right now. It is definitely mental health, lack of connection, That's what you're checking in for. Are you okay? How can I support you? Is there anything in your way right now that I can help you get around? Those kind of conversations are the conversations we should be having very regularly. So you got started 
in this area of helping women develop into leadership roles. Tell us how you got started into that because there's a little backstory there, right? Yeah, yeah. Part of it was my own frustration, right? So I have been a leader. I was a leader in in my prior children career. And then I got pregnant and I had 12 years out of the career world. I Not out of the work world. I certainly was working. I had businesses and I had retail jobs and stuff trying to work around my kids for 12 years. Finally decided, right, it's time for me again. I'm going back into my career. I've got a bit more time on my hands. It's more than time. But back then it was like, I've got some more time on my hands. So I'm going to sit back in my career. And it took ages for me to get back to even the position that I'd been in before I left the workforce. It took ages. And I just felt so frustrated at the lack of progress in my career because I'd already been there before. So that was one of the reasons. The other reason is one of my strengths uh, is being a connector or a relator. So people will often just come and talk to me and feel quite comfortable quite quickly when they do. And so I will often get women at work that come and talk to me about their frustration as well. And after a particularly disturbing conversation with a colleague who just came to me and said, look, I actually vomited on the way to work this morning because I'm so stressed about turning up to my manager again today. And I just, I don't know what to do. Can you, you know, give me some clue as to what I should be doing here? And I, it just broke me, honestly. And I just, it wasn't the first story I'd heard along those lines, but it was probably the worst story I'd heard up to that point uh, of how much a manager impacts your whole entire life. And I was like, someone needs to do something about this. And I thought, stop talking about it and start doing it. And I still work full time, but I was called to do something to make a difference in this space. And yeah, so I didn't think it was likely that I was going to change all of these mediocre or bad managers into amazing managers all of a sudden. But what I was seeing was these amazing women that I worked with that were at that level just below management level and they were struggling to break through. And I was like, you guys are leaders already. Why are you not in these leadership positions? And I could start seeing some patterns in that space. And so I made it my mission to help and empower those women to get into those leadership roles and thereby replacing those ones that aren't doing so well. That's the end goal anyway. (laughs) I love that because I I agree that is very needed. So what are some of those patterns that women have that are keeping them from rising up within an organization? What are the big things that you've noticed? So there's two, and I guess they lead into each other. There's more than two, but two main ones that I see again and again. So the first is something that I've been thinking about lately. And we know that there are issues with gender equity in the workplace. And we know that there are unconscious biases that we all have, women and men have these biases where studies show that when we think of leaders, we automatically think of men. And there's that old story about the surgeon refusing to operate on their son and the father was with the son in the accident and says, no, you need to operate and the surgeon refuses. And we're so confused as to how the surgeon can refuse and the father's saying you need to operate because we don't immediately think the surgeon is a woman and it's his it's the kid's mother. So there are these unconscious biases that we have and they get talked about a lot and that's a good thing and things need to happen in that space. 
But I think what that does for us as women is almost gives us this excuse or this buffer to say, that's why I'm not there yet because biases and it's other people's fault. And I'm not saying it's not, like there are definite biases there and there are definitely people that are in hiring roles that are not making decisions um, that favor women. However, I think for some people we use it, and I'm including myself in this because I used to be guilty of it, I use it as a little bit of a crutch. And rather than saying, I need to level up myself, I need to, there are things that I can do in this space that will really help me get back into my leadership role. I was like, the system needs to change and the people need to change. And why can't people see how good I am? So I think part of it is just not understanding that we are 100% responsible for being able to take control of our career and get to that next level. And I think Part of that, and this is where the second one comes in, is that particularly mothers returning to the workforce, but not only mothers, is just this lack of confidence that I see across the board in ourselves. And we often think once I get the role, then I'll be good at it. Then I'll become, you know, the person I need to be in the role. And what we need to do is become the person first before we get the role. And part of that is owning who we are and being confident in who we are, no matter what that is. And it comes out in many different ways. I've seen different, trying to think of the word, manifestations of lack of confidence, different wording that people use to to show that they lack confidence in a space. But that's what it boils down to is getting that confidence back that we used to have when we were younger. I love watching kids playing and the confidence they bring. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the way, that dissipates and we get older and and lose a bit of it. And yeah, so definitely what I empower women to do is reclaim that confidence and understand that they can take complete control of their career and not wait for other people to notice them. One of the things you do is working with people who have been out of the workforce for a while and they're re-entering the workforce. And it's understandable that maybe they might be out of practice with some of these things. What are some ways that women can reclaim their confidence? What are, do you have certain steps? What's the first thing you recommend to them? Yeah, so I do. I, I have a I have a mini confidence course that I have for free that people can sign up for if they're looking for this because I do think it's a big thing and it's one of those first building steps to the rest of it. And the first step in that I love, and, and people may have heard of this before and some people may be using it, but I would love for everybody to use this. I was really late to coming to this one. And I guess one of the things that I know with us women is that we often will put, we'll do more for other people than we'll do for ourselves. And sometimes I'll get people to reframe what they're doing. And, and my stepdaughter was writing her cover letter the other day and was struggling with saying good things about herself in a cover letter to apply for a manager role. And I said, okay, turn it around and pretend you're now writing about your best friend instead of yourself and see how easy it is then to write a cover letter full of bragging. So I apply the same rule to the first step in confidence building, and that is creating your alter ego. So creating someone that starts off being outside of yourself and ends up, you become that person. And so just a really quick way of doing that is to have a look at the three people that you admire the most that are already doing the thing that you want to do. So if it's leadership, for example, or even 
like a fantastic runner. Have a look at those three people and notice what it is about them that allows them to be that person. So is it commitment? Is it confidence? What are the traits that you can see in them that you really admire that have helped them get to where they are? Write them down and then merge them together and say, okay, this is who these traits are the ones that my alter ego has. So as an example, my alter ego is Raquel. I Yes, I named her. <laughs> and I encourage everybody to name their alter ego because it helps with that you know, feeling of other for a while that we'll do more for the other than we do for ourselves. So Raquel is confident. She is a little bit sassy. She is happy to speak in front of people on a Facebook live. She is a great runner and loves running up hills. <laughs> uh, and she has helped me run many a hill. And it's about taking those traits and starting to feel inside of yourself what they feel like. So if I start feeling, what does confidence feel like? I can see it in this other person. So for me, when I look at people that I admire, there's a, I don't know if everyone will have heard of her, but the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, She's got a lot of accolades for how she's coped with the pandemic and, and how New Zealanders come through really well. She's someone I really admire in the leadership space. And so I look at her and I'm like, how does she walk? How does she smile? How does she carry herself? How is that showing me her confidence? And I bring that into myself and I can feel this straightening of my shoulders and my heart feels a bit stronger. And so it just, it's like, how does that feel to me? And then that feeling is what I bring forward. So I, I'll combine, say, three traits to start with. And those traits become me for a while while I step into Raquel. And like I said, Raquel helps me get up hills. So she knows that hill is just another place to walk. And so I'll be like, okay, Raquel, let's get up this hill. And I'm just able to straighten my shoulders and feel lighter, literally feel lighter. It's the weirdest feeling. But that feeling of embodying somebody else and yet still being you is what shifts you into becoming that. So you do that for long enough and you become, you embody that those traits. And so then your alter ego can sort of up-level again and you can follow her to the next place that she's going. So yeah, I've found that for me has done wonders with many different areas that I've wanted to improve in. I love that because I, I can't even remember the specific quote now, but basically there's a thing about where, your mind doesn't know the difference between that vision that you have and reality as if you can imagine who you want to become, your mind doesn't know the difference. Is that that's basically exactly it? Yep, that's exactly it. And I think those feelings as well really add weight to that. So by feeling it in your body, that also helps your brain believe that it's just real. It's just now that's who I am. And you're trying to think of the right way. I do know this, but the sinuses in your brain will break the bad habits and form the new habits as long as you do that for long enough. And so when I first started becoming Raquel, I made myself do Facebook lives for 30 days in a row because it was one of the things that I couldn't stand doing. And I, it took me forever to press go on my iPhone before I would, you know, come across live in a Facebook group. And after doing, after becoming Raquel, 
that made me do it quite quickly. And now I don't need to call on Raquel at all. I am more than comfortable jumping into a Facebook Live whenever I feel like I've got something to say. So it, it I have become that person. I guess one other thing that helps in that space for a lot of people is to have a talisman. So for some people that might be wearing a particular set of shoes or uh, one lady I spoke to wore a yellow skirt whenever she needed that extra boost to become that person or red lipstick or a certain pair of earrings that you wouldn't normally wear. But when you become your alter ego, that's what she would wear. And so you put them on and it just helps connect you to that feeling even deeper than you do if you don't have that talisman. I think there's a lot of runners that use that too. They train one way and then for race day, it's I have a special color that I wear when I race and it makes me feel strong and powerful. And so maybe they have a color that they like to wear when they need that extra energy or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's great. Do you own your own business or are you part of a sales team? Then this message is for you. This episode is sponsored by Iris Digital Media Group. I started Iris Digital Media Group with my daughter, who is an actress living in New York City. You've probably heard that video is hot and that you should be using video to market your business. But maybe you can't seem to pull it all together. You have a lifetime of knowledge and it just all falls out of your head the second you hit record. You break into a sweat, you freeze. You don't know where to look, and you're afraid that posting the video will hurt your credibility. Well, we have a solution for that. We have a free video boot camp coming up that will help you get past the worry and the tech challenges and help you plan what to say so that you can show up as the expert you truly are. We'd love to have you join us March 25th through 27th. It's free. There's no risk at all, and you can learn more by going to irisdigitalmediagroup.com forward slash bootcamp. Now, what do you do for somebody who maybe doesn't have any great examples? They don't have any role models. How do they pick out these traits? How do they learn the traits that they want to be so that they can create their alter ego if they've never had a good example? You can get examples from anywhere. So even if you watch TV, even if it's a fake example. Right. So if you think of someone on TV or or movies that you particularly like, I'm a, I'm a Marvel lover. I love Marvel Universe. And I could look at Black Widow and go, oh, I love the way she walks. She has so much confidence. I would love to be her. So what traits of hers do I like? I don't want to be all of her. <laughs> I don't want all of her traits. And, and that's definitely one of the things to watch out for is you don't want to become one other person. You definitely want to look at three because you still need to be yourself. So you're bringing these traits inside of yourself rather than stepping into a specific other person. But yeah, looking at movies and and television, okay, they're acting, but that's beside the point. They're good actors. So they're still able to model for you what it looks like to be confident. And you can pick that up and go, she walks like this. I can practice walking like this. So yeah, I, I think you do need to see it first to be able to emulate it and then be able to feel it. Now, what do you say to people who are like, now that's just all fake because you're teaching somebody to people to be something they're not. Is that why you go with the three and meld them together? 
Yeah, yeah, that's definitely it. So what I find is you can't see a trait in someone else that you don't already have a piece of inside of you. So generally what you're doing is just bringing it back to your body. So it's not foreign to your body. You're bringing it back to your body. You're reclaiming it is how I see it. So again, as kids, we were full of confidence. We had no problem with that's mine. (laughs) That's my toy. Give it back. Most of these traits we've had somewhere along the line, and we're just bringing them back into our body. And we use the tools that are available to us to do that. So to me, this is not fake it till you make it. It's just embody it until you become it. And so it really is training your brain to reclaim who you were. So it's a tool. Why wouldn't we use it? It works. Okay. Now I'm going to, I'm blanking on this woman's name and it is a name I should not be blanking on, but last name Cuddy, I think the woman who teaches the power pose. Amy. 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 Yeah. I I knew it was an A word. Anyway, (laughs) Amy Cuddy, she's the one that teaches the power pose. Yeah. Which is to me, when you were talking about the Marvel characters, it reminds me of how Wonder Woman stands. And it is supposed to have it, it works. It there's interesting research that she has done on the differences in results that people get walking into a meeting. Do you have any knowledge or background on that? Just mainly what Amy Cuddy has said. So I did look into that and There were some dissenting views that came out, but she has redone the study and come up with the same results, but in a slightly different way. So there is there, it definitely works in that either the Wonder Woman pose with your hands on your hip, it's partly about taking up more space as well, helps you feel bigger. So even just putting your arms out can work or putting your arms up can work. They are good short-term tactics. So they're good before you walk into an interview, if you can sneak into somewhere where people aren't watching you, certainly stand. And she recommends two minutes, stand with your hands on your hips for, for a couple of minutes so that you really build that power, I would suggest at the same time, you are thinking about how confident you're feeling and really feel into it. So the physicalness of it definitely helps, but I would be feeling into it as well. So yeah, for short-term boosts, if you're going out public speaking or something like that, then it gives you that shot of confidence just before you step out. And I think it's great in that situation too, because if you're going through the, the pose and thinking about how confident you are, you're also probably doing some sort of a breathing thing to help center yourself and calm those nerves just enough so that you can feel excitement and not, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw up. I'm so nervous. That's it. That reminds me one of the things that I've done because I still feel that anxiety sometimes And I've trained myself and I'm not going to say it always works yet because this is a work in progress, but I've trained myself to feel like detect that feeling. So to me, it's often either in my stomach or in my heart, I feel knotted and tight and I'm like, oh, what am I anxious about? Now I say, oh, I feel that I'm going to, to label that excitement. So rather than labeling it in my brain, oh, I'm feeling anxious, what's it about? I'm now labeling it, oh, I feel excited. What am I excited about? Because sometimes I don't know, which is weird, but sometimes I just get that feeling and I'm like, oh, I don't know where that's coming from. But even when you do, even when you know, oh, I'm anxious because I've got this difficult conversation to have, reframe it and say, oh, that's excitement. 
I'm excited about this difficult conversation because I'm going to really help this person see something or I'm going to get to the other side of it and it's going to be such a relief. And yeah, just reframing that feeling in your body from anxiety to excitement has helped me in a number of occasions. I like that a lot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As far as limiting beliefs, can you give us an idea of some of the limiting beliefs that women might have when they're stuck in that middle phase and they're having trouble bumping up to the next level? Yeah. So some of the ones that I've heard and worked with, definitely I'm not good enough. That comes up again and again in, in different forms, but there's just some form of that I'm not good enough. I'll, I don't have leadership skills yet, or I don't know how to do difficult conversations, or I'm just, I just don't feel like I'm at that level without anything concrete behind it. So I'm not good enough is a really common limiting belief. And then along with that is imposter syndrome. I'm not good enough and someone's going to find out. And so we'll, that's often where we already are in a place where we think we're higher than we really are. And so you, you just have this feeling like someone's going to find out soon that I shouldn't be in this job and then I'm going to be so embarrassed. And, and so you play a bit small in that space because you're so afraid of being found out that you don't want to be seen much at all and you think that you might stay hidden and, and get away with it. So yeah, those are two of the, the most common, I think, limiting beliefs that stop people really stepping up and being visible and showing up in a really big way. So I like this idea, what you said about playing small because you're afraid that you might get found out. And you hear a lot of people in the personal development space Talk about playing small and it's what does that really mean? So I like that you said that in the way that you did because it gets to the point about what does playing small mean? So if you feel like you're playing small, what might be some of those steps that you have to do to break out of that, to change that mindset so that you can be bigger and show people what you really have? Yeah. So I think part of that still comes back to confidence. Using your alter ego to step out a bit and do things that you wouldn't normally do really helps in that space. I think things like imposter syndrome and I'm not good enough. One of the things that I realized that helped me, and this is through being a coach and having conversations with women that are super successful. And you look at them and you're like, you have got it all together. Like, I just, I think you're wonderful. You're amazing. I would love to be you. And then you have a deep conversation with these women and they are just as anxious and have just as much imposter syndrome as the rest of us. And I think for me, realizing that imposter syndrome is just, it's common. I don't know many people that don't have it. It probably means that you are above the level that you think you are. And so that's not a bad thing because it probably means you're already good enough to be there or you wouldn't be there. So recognizing that it's not an uncommon feeling and then doing the stuff anyway. So there was a book in the 80s that I read by Susan Jeffers, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And there's a little bit of that in it is like recognizing that, yes, I'm scared of this. This is giving me anxiety, but training your brain to be um, rewarded when you do it anyway. And this is something that I've been working on for years since I read that book, I think since the 80s. It is it, my brain now when it comes across a challenge and it, and I'm like, oh, that looks a little bit scary. I've 
stepped into it so many times now that my brain sees it as a as an exciting thing, as a good thing, as opposed to a scary thing that's going to stop me from doing it. And I think one of the keys to that from brain science is to reward yourself every time you do something scary. And it can start small. So it can start with a small conversation that you have, you know, a little bit of fear around have the small conversation and then afterwards make a point of rewarding yourself for having had that small, scary conversation. A a small reward might be as simple as having a nice cup of tea on the deck or ringing a friend that you haven't talked to for a while and having a 15-minute conversation. So I'm not talking big, fancy, go and buy yourself a Lamborghini rewards. (laughs) Just get your brain in the habit of doing scary things by saying, good job, brain. (laughs) It's like training a puppy. Perfect. Perfect timing for me. (laughs) Now, to me, I, when I work with runners, I am a big fan of getting them to use a training journal so that they can log all the things, like all the random thoughts, all the limiting beliefs, all those things as they're going through the training process. And then what I like about that is that when they get to their taper week, the week before the race, they can flip through that thing and remind themselves of all the hard work and amazing change and all the growth that they had personally throughout the training process. And this, a lot of these things that you're talking about to me sound like they would work amazing if somebody was journaling. Is journaling part of what you recommend to people or not really? It is. It is in one of my modules um, or masterclasses on resilience. So it is one of the key tools that you can use to build your resilience. And I think it's for that exact reason is that you, when you're going through tough times, first of all, just writing it out can help tough times seem less tough because they're out of your head now, but also going through tough times, you can look back at other tough times that you've been through and got to the other side. And invariably, when we get through tough times, we can look back and go, oh, actually, that wasn't so tough. I learned this from that, or I got to a much better place a year after or two months after that event. So say you were let go from work, and that's a tough time to go through. And yet, a year later, you've got a much better job with a much better team and you couldn't be more excited. So being able to reflect back on those tough times and go, oh, I got through that and it was better helps you get through any tough times that you're currently going through. Um, so yeah, I love that idea of looking at the growth that you're going through over time, but also in the moment, getting those thoughts out of your head because often that's where they sit and go round and round in circles Instead, you can put them on paper and then leave them and step away and have more brain space for thoughts about good things. And I like how you tied that to resilience too, because I think sometimes when we think we're in the worst time of our lives, we climb out of it and then maybe something else happens. So I think when you are documenting it in some way, you also have the ability to go, oh, that was pretty bad, but look what I managed to do as a result. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I can't remember who wrote this, but they called these AFGOs, these bad situations, another effing growth opportunity. Uh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, I quite like that. And I I have been known to shout at the universe, I don't need another AFGO. Seriously, I've had (laughs) enough of that. I've I've got so much resilience. It's not funny. You want to get to the point where 
when you're in the middle of it, when you're going through those tough situations, which will always continue, you can in the middle of it go, why is this happening for me? Instead of why is this happening to me? And that can completely change your outlook in the middle of going through tough times. And it makes it so much easier to get to the other side. That's awesome. Is there anything that you want to tell the listeners that I haven't asked you? Look, I I was asked a question in a um, challenge I was doing the other day around what's the one message that if you were to die tomorrow, you would want your family and loved ones to know? And that was a big question, but it really made me think. And so my one message that I really want to meet my family and loved ones to know and basically the whole world to know is we only get one life and I really would love you to live it to its full. No days and weeks of video games or Netflix or hiding. I, I know I'm a tough taskmaster. And, you know, there, are, there is time for that. There is time when you can intentionally say my mental health needs a break. But I just think this is our one life and we have so much to give and there is so much good in us and so much amazingness in us that we need to share that with the world if we can and if not with our family and friends as much as possible. So go out there and, and I know it's a, a big you know, saying in the personal development industry, but I truly mean it. Go out there and live your best life because it's the only one you've got that we know of. (laughs) I think that is a beautiful place to end this. So why don't you tell everybody about if they want to work with you, what the options are, and then how they can find you online. And then I'll be sure to put all this in the show notes also. Yeah, great. Thanks, Kim. Thank you for giving me that offer. So my the best place to connect with me is in the Facebook group because we have a lot of fun in there. So if you search under Facebook groups for Career Mums Accelerate Your Leadership Journey, you can definitely find us in there. Otherwise, my website has links to everywhere. So if you find uh, herleadershipway.com, then you can connect with me through there. Very good. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. I love all that you're doing and I wish you the very best. Thanks, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. I love the questions. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peak of Power of Run and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe as a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.